And the core passage, if you guys want to look in your scripture, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And it starts with this phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And uh, David, you could actually start putting up our YouTube video, because I know that's going to take uh, 30 seconds. Um, and it says, if you, whoever sows generously will also reap generously, and whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And in the context, it's actually speaking about giving, right? And I've seen this scripture abused all the time, especially on TV. And um, these televangelists saying like, hey, if you give to my ministry, you're going to get all kinds of money back, right? And they use this verse. If you sow, give money generously to my ministry, God's going to give you all kinds of money in return. And so this is like a satire on uh, that kind of preaching. And we're just going to listen to a minute of it. They preach something called the prosperity gospel, which argues that wealth is a sign of God's favor and donations will result in wealth coming back to you. That idea sometimes takes the form of seed faith, the notion that donations are seeds that you will one day get to harvest. Uh, Let me show you that in action. The size of your seed will determine the size of your harvest. I don't understand why, but there's something happens at a level where people step into faith and give $1,000 that don't happen at other levels. You're going to have a breakthrough through this $273 seed. All you've got is $1,000. Listen, that's not enough money anyway to buy the house. You're trying to get in the apartment. You're trying to buy the house. That's not enough money anyway. You get to that phone and you put that seed in the ground and watch God work it out. Okay, perfect. Good job, David. There's a bleeped out F words before and after that segment. I was like, David, be very careful. Um, (laughs) Good job. No F words at church today. That's a win. Um, uh, But it's bleeped out, so it's it's fine. Um, If you guys, if you go my Prezi, David, and so, first of all, I just want to say, like, I'm going to go on a little tangent, but we really need to know the Word of God well. Um, because it's so easy to take a passage like that and have it become abused, uh, like we saw here uh, through, through a lot of that preaching, a lot of that prosperity gospel preaching. And so, so much of what I would love for our community to be is a people who know God's Word well. I hope that when you come on Sunday, you'll bring your Bible or you have your Bible open and you're comparing what I'm speaking about to the text, right? Is, is what I'm talking about coming out of scripture or is it just like Wilson's random story of the week about me in fifth grade punching through my friends? Like, is it that, right? Or is it, is it coming out of the word of God? Is, is what we're talking about on Sunday tethered to God's word? Because that's where the value is. I hope in our small group that when we're reading scripture, when we're doing that Bible study part, we would really look into the word, look at the study guide and go back and forth and gather around scripture with our eyes focused on it, learning how to approach and glean from the text. And that's really all we have. That's what makes us Christian is the word of God, right? And so I really hope that... um, that when you walk away from this message today, from your Bible studies, that one of the things that you take of greatest value is, hey, I know this passage better than I did when I walk in. I have a good grasp on it. If you feel that way, I, I, f- 
I would be blessed. And I think one reason why I would love for us to have our Bibles is because if you're just kind of relying on the screen and the PowerPoint, and you don't know really where this text resides in your own hand, in your, in your, in your Bible when you get home, you'll have no access to it. Does that make sense? But if you have it on a screen and you're looking, up, looking it up in, in the Bible, then you'll know where it is. You can go back to it. When you read it again in the future, you have access to it. I spent $250 of our church money on 20 Bibles. And so uh, we're going to have them out next week. If you don't have a Bible, please pick one up. If you have 15 bucks uh, to reimburse us, that'd be great. If not, it's fine. In our, in our Bible studies, again, I would love for us to center and drive our conversation back into God's word when we're in small group. Does that make sense? And if we don't, we start giving $1,000 to televangelists. So it, that's the alternative. Um, when I was, it continues. It's like an hour-long satire. I do appreciate him, like, in the first 30 seconds saying, there are thousands of really good churches doing really great things for the community. But I'm not talking about those churches. And then he just blasts televangelists. I actually took a class on, um, sat in on a lecture in UCI about televangelists. And some of them raise money for private jets, right? Uh, because it helps them <laughs> share the gospel. And then there was this one clip that he showed, which was heart-wrenching. He talked about how if you have credit card debt, take another $1,000 out of your credit card, give it to his ministry so that God will bless you and erase your credit card debt. Because, right, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So today, as we kind of do our normal, like, discussion question, I want to ask, why is their perception or interpretation of this verse incorrect, right? Does that really mean that if I give more money away, I will become rich? I'll get more back. Uh, is that approach um, that you heard from these preachers um, correct or incorrect and why. And you guys could look further on the text if you want to. But yeah, I would love for us to just spend two, two three minutes on that question. Okay, so go ahead, break off into groups of twos and threes. Uh, try to meet someone new. Try to make sure everyone around you is included in a group. All right, and then we'll, we'll come up and, and finish the sermon. All right, thanks everyone for sharing. Um, Probably didn't get enough time, but. So in the backdrop of this passage, uh, thank you so much for everyone who shared. I know it's scary, and um, I'm glad you guys all contributed. In the backdrop of this passage, you could look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as well as the first couple of verses of chapter 9. Paul's on his third missionary journey. Uh, at this time, the persecution of the Jerusalem church was heightened. And imagine driving to church today, not wondering if you could make it because you're tired or not or wanting to fight off rain but you're asking okay i'll i if i come to church today um will i get like a ten thousand dollar fine you know will i come out of this sanctuary and and see a ten thousand dollar fine sitting on my windshield for coming to church uh will will my, my family get put in prison will i get separated from my wife for coming to church I mean, these are the questions that the Jerusalem church is wrestling with every Sunday when they wake up to fellowship with one another. These are the questions that our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and other places in the world are asking this morning um, when they get up 
and go to church. They're counting the cost, and it's pretty severe, but many of them, hundreds of thousands of them, still get up and come to a gathering. And as Paul's heart is breaking for the Jerusalem church, he also sees an opportunity because there's a lot of animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles or non-Jews. But the gospel has been bringing them together in these communities, and yet there's this kind of power struggle where the Jewish church feels like they're better because they have this whole lineage of following this God, and now they've understood the Messiah. Um, Jesus has kind of been placed into different parts of history. They have a fuller context for him. And these Gentiles can often feel like lesser Christians. And even Peter and, and, and Paul got in this argument where Paul's calling out Peter for sitting with only Jews when uh, his Jewish friends came and not incorporating Gentiles. But now there's kind of this power switch where the, these, Jew, these Gentile churches are now wealthier than the Jerusalem church because of persecution. And Paul sees this power dynamic, and he sees an opportunity for him to bring reconciliation. So a huge part of why he goes on his third missionary journey is to ask these Gentile churches for money to support the Jerusalem church in a way of reconciliation and love. And so he knows that where your money is, your heart is as well. So he goes to Macedonia first, and the Macedonian church aren't very wealthy. But they hear about the Corinth church, which is much wealthier, and how the Corinth church is going to give a ton of money, and they're like, hey, brothers and sisters, even though you're college students with loans, even though this is your first job and you're making 30K, our brothers in Corinth are going to give a lot of money. Let's, let's step up. And so people are looking around in their households, in their bank accounts, and they're like, and they're giving sacrificially, even in their poverty, um, as it says in the text. And so Paul's starting to get a little scared. He's feeling a little anxious because this poor church in the ghettos, in the rural places, is giving a lot of money, is stepping up. And he's looking at the Corinth church in the city, right, in Irvine, or in the good parts of Fullerton. And and he's like, man, if they don't live up to their promise, they're going to make me look bad. They're going to make themselves look bad. It's going to be terrible to see a church in the slums give more money than a suburban church. These people who are selling off maybe some of their pots and pans because they don't have to use all of them every day to raise money for the Jerusalem church. Um, and then this Corinth church isn't giving money, isn't giving it enough. So he writes this to encourage the Corinth church to say, hey, you promised to give a lot and you've inspired your poor brothers and sisters to give sacrificially. Make sure you step up. Make sure you, you give what you said you would give. I'm going to be visiting you in a few months and make sure you've collected the money early so that we, we all don't look bad, all right? And then here's how he's encouraging him, them. He says in chapter 9, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So surprisingly, in the broader context, this is talking about finances, and again, I, I think a lot of pastors will get scared here. And it's actually also saying that, hey, if you give generously into God's kingdom, you will receive generously. If you give sparingly into God's kingdom, you'll receive sparingly. Is, that, is anyone scared? Is anyone going to drive home right now? Right? <laughs> but I don't know how else to take this passage. 
But I think a lot of these questions about motivation, about selfishness, is answered in the broader context, as Bradley talked about. All right, next slide. David, next slide. <laughs> My clicker doesn't work. This is just a part of our church. Don't be scared. Okay. All right, now it does work. Okay, so the first context in chapters, in verse 7, right? So if you have your Bibles out, we're just working down one verse at a time. Highlight, take notes, and I hope that you feel like you understand this passage better. So in chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. This is instruction to how we should give others. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's saying don't give reluctantly but cheerfully. And don't give under compulsion, but give intentionally or give what you've decided in your heart to give. And so I think when these are the two ways that Paul, uh, that God is instructing us to give. That first, we don't give compulsively. We don't give because we saw a great televangelist tell you to sow seeds, right? We don't give because there's this picture on the wall that sometimes. Um, when someone asks me for money, I just kind of want to jump in. I had this phone call of a guy who says, oh, I'm at a motel. I can't pay for the next night. Will your church give us some money? And for me, I think that unless God calls me to do something unordinary, that to me feels like I'm acting compulsively instead of really thinking it through. I think intentionally giving means re-surrendering our budget to the Lord, re-surrendering our wealth to the Lord, and, and really praying about, God, what have you called me to give to your kingdom, to the local church, to, to missionaries, to people who are, are impoverished? And how do I sit down and, and truly uh, pray and consider what to give in this discipline, intellectual way? Does that make sense? Have you sat down? I, I really hope that you don't give just like as the offering baskets coming around, like, oh, what's in my wallet? Here's, a, here's what it is. Or, oh, man, there's a sermon on, pre on giving today. I need to give a little bit more. I don't want any of you guys to give more than what you had already decided to give before you walked in here. And if you didn't give, decide to give anything, don't give anything. I just want you to give whatever you thought you were going to give. Does that make sense? Because I'd rather you go home and, and follow this text. Give what you've decided in your heart. Look at your budget, resurrender your wealth to the Lord, and give what he's called you to give. And secondly, he says, don't do it reluctantly, but do it cheerfully. That's not about the amount. It's also about how the posture of your heart, because at the end of the day, you're giving to the Lord. And it's, it's a character formation thing. It's not just a numeric thing. I think when we give cheerfully, it's because we're giving to something that we find value in. One of the best $100 I ever spent was on this longboard. Uh, I bought it in college, and uh, the nose of it's like wrecked because of how many times I've crashed into things, right? But, um, but I loved it so much. I remember taking it to class, and then I got better at boarding, and then I, um, I, would, I would go up the parking lot at, Cal at US UCI and ride down like 10 lights of parking structure. It was amazing. And then I got really 
confident and prideful. And I would park at the top part of the parking lot. And in like rush hour parking traffic, I would like board down. And I would like split cars and stuff. I was pretty good and really stupid. I was like pretty good and very, very dumb, okay? Like <laughs> two cars are coming in opposite directions and I want to slice them in half. And I did. Sorry, mom. And mom, I'm okay. <laughs> I didn't get ran over if you're wondering how the story ends. Um, but I love this longboard, and I found it to be immensely valuable. And so it was easy to give. And I wonder if we find kingdom things valuable. Because if we do, it's easy to give, right? If you find this community valuable, and you know that giving to renew means that we can continue to build this community and continue to bless Fortin, it's easy to give. If you, if you give to a child and, and, you, and he's, he or she is getting drinking water and food and an education, and you're like, man, that's valuable, then it, it becomes easy to give, right? If you're supporting a crew or epic staffer and, and you hear about four or five people coming to faith because they're on campus, you hear about Christian students rallying to become missionaries, and you're like, that's valuable, then we can give cheerfully. And we, and we give, and, and giving becomes easy, easier. <laughs> um, I think we, we, when we think about giving, we have to recognize that money is significant. Money is weighty, right? There's, there's real value to it. It's so valuable that we exchange segments of our life in order to gain wealth, to gain money. And as we give it out, we need to believe that this is worth parts of our lives. As we give it out, we need to give it intentionally and thoughtfully because we traded parts of our life for this wealth. And that's how Paul instructs us to give. But there's a larger system at play because if we don't think about how God has given to us, we would never give to others, right? Why would I give anything away if I earned it, if it was always mine and, and started with me? I might trade you for something, or if I give you something, it might be obligatory. But Jesus says, freely you have received, so freely give. So the way that we perceive how we receive is going to relate and translate into how we give other people. If we received from earning, then other people will have to earn for, for us to let go of things. But if we received open-handedly, then we can also give open-handed as well. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says. I hope that you have your Bible, you're looking at it with me. It says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So what this is saying is that everything we have at all times is because of God's blessing in our lives. It's because he gave it to us. And I wonder if we recognize that all that we have is from him. When we do, three things happen. Um, okay, I think part, I think it's easy to not believe that, right? It's easy to believe, but I earned it. But I got the job. I, w I, went I went for my education, and I went to work 9 to 5, and I earned everything that I have. 
But I would like to take that concept and break it down a little bit further. Because you might have earned your wage from your work, but who gave you the capacity to go to work? Who gave you your health? Who gave you your intelligence? Who gave you your, the system that you were born into so that you can be educated? I talked to this missionary who, um, in this rural village where there's no running water. And when they sit down and ask these kids about what, they dream, what their dreams are, they have no dreams because they have no running water. Every day, they just want to get clean water. Do you think you would do as well as you did if you were born in that situation? The next breath we have is from the Lord. The raw materials we have to gather wealth is from the Lord, right? He made the silver, the iron, the gold for us to construct with. I think for me, there's a sense that if I could stop every day and just thank God for running water, it would give me great humility and trust in him. When we do recognize that everything we have is from the Lord, is fundamentally because he's blessed us with it, we're able to worship him instead of worship our job or our boss or our degree or our own intelligence, right? But if ultimately it's because we worked for it, then we become the God and we become the idol. And secondly, when we trust God to provide for us in our poverty, in our, in our, in our abundance, in the, in the ways that we are wealthy, then we'll trust him in our poverty as well. Right? If you recognize that it's God who gives you all of these things when you're doing well, then when you're doing poorly, you're not going to freak out because you're like, ultimately, God's the one to provide for me. And I think there's something really valuable about worshiping and recognizing God in the good times because then we're able to trust him in the hard times as well. And lastly, the way we are given is the way that we will give. I remember when I was uh, raising money to start up Renew, we needed about 100000 just to get off the ground, just for me and Nina to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this thing because we have bills to pay, we needed to rent space and all of that. And I remember I approached someone in my small group who I led to Christ, I discipled for a long time. Um, I mean, I really kind of helped him grow in his faith. And I was thinking, and he makes good money, and I was thinking, oh, for sure he's going to invest in this church plan, right? For sure he's going to give a uh, partner with me. And so I sent him a few texts and then a few emails. And basically, like, I told him what I wanted to do. And he wouldn't even meet up to talk about, like, vision. Like, just for the presentation, he wouldn't meet. And honestly, I was, I was offended. I was, like, really mad at him for weeks. I'm like, man, I, like, led you to Christ. How can you not... Like, give to this ministry that I'm starting up. How could you not even, like, meet up with me, right? And as I'm, like, ranting to God, he had me stop. And he said, think about all the older brothers and sisters that have given to you and you've done nothing for. Think about all of the aunties and uncles who have given to you to this ministry and you've done nothing for them. In my kingdom, it's not you give to him and he has to give back to you. It's receive freely from these people I've called to give to you. And then give freely to the people I've called you to give to. It's a totally different system. 
And when we do that well, we worship God and we are able to give to others. As we continue to expand, we see not only does God give to us so that we can give to others, but that as we give more to others, as we steward what he's given us well, he actually increases our ability to give. He gives us even more. Again, you might want to get up and go home now. But I think this is what the text is saying. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sowers and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He will enrich, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So what this is saying is that as you steward well, as you give to others, God wants and desires to give more to you so that you can give, become even more generous and give even more to others, which I think is part of the difference between the televangelist and what this text is saying, right? Because the televangelist is saying, if you give, you'll get more, and that's where it ends. But this is saying, when you steward and give well, God's going to give more to you so that you can continue to give to others. That it doesn't end with you, but it ends with others. And I also think about how when we don't give well to others, right? Why, if, if we were to cover this part up, why this can become toxic. If all of God's blessing ends with us, then we become prideful. Then the then it isn't about his kingdom anymore. Then we start to worship his gifts, right? When we're not giving to other people and it ends with us, then it becomes idolatry. And so think about the ways that God has made you wealthy. And it, I think it does go beyond money. How has he given to you? Has he given you uh, finances? Has he given you popularity? Has he given you... Um, power in specific areas? Has he given you an education? Has he given you gifts and talents where you could like dominate other people and like shooting pool like I can, right? What has he given you? Um, I challenge anyone to pool here, uh, except for my dad. <laughs> He's really good. Um, but think about if God generously gives to you and it stops at you, how toxic that is. Right? Like if God is able to, uh, one of the things that I feel like he's richly blessed me with is that I'm, I enjoy making friends. And it comes pretty easily to me at this point, right? I just assume that when I walk into a group that people will like me. And it's an assumption, right? But <laughs> I pretend it's true. And if that's the end of it, if, if that's how God's blessed me and it's just about me having a ton of friends, then that's going to be idolatrous, right? But if me having a ton of friends means that I could share the gospel with people, that I can mobilize friendship to be about his kingdom, that I can gather people to serve him, then instead of idolatry, it becomes uh, worship and service to the Lord, right? If God gives you power in, in your job position or in your friendship groups, influence, and that's it, and you just kind of use that for yourself, then 
then it's just about you. But if you use that power and you promote other people and you're, and you're serving others and you're allowing people to find the Lord, then it becomes worship. Does that make sense? And so, so to the capacity we're able to give others really is to the capacity that God is able to give us. And if he gives us beyond the capacity that we can give others, oftentimes it's actually to our detriment. So if you think about like your wildest dreams, does it end with you giving to others? Or does it just end with you becoming God <laughs> and people worshiping you and you becoming famous and rich and buying whatever you want? Because if you actualize, if God actualizes that dream for you, you might actually leave him and just be an idol, idol worshiper. But if the end of your dreams is so that other people are blessed, and to the capacity you can do that is to the capacity that God can give to you. Does that make sense? Does everyone understand that? And sometimes, even as you give generously, God still doesn't give to you in the timing or to the proportion that you thought you were, you were going to get it, you know? This is a principle. It's not a, like a, a law that's like every $1 you spend, you'll get $15 from heaven, right? But I think... I think when you're not getting what you give, it's another test of your heart. Because if you really gave, if getting was really to give, you wouldn't be shaking your fist at God when you don't get what you want. You wouldn't be grieving that you're not as comfortable or you're not as wealthy or you didn't get to buy that. You would be grieving because you can't give as much as you wanted to to someone else. So when he gives generously, it's a test of our stewardship. And when he withholds, it can actually continue to be a test of our heart. I remember um, there's this woman who has really blessed our church and has given generously to us. And, um, and she actually has given generously to a lot, of, a lot of Christian leaders. I remember being at this really cool pastor conference and she was there. And like all of my pastor heroes were like gathered around her because she helped launch a lot of their ministries financially. And, and she helped launch Renew as well. She probably dropped like, I don't know, 60000 on us. And, you know, that's a lot of money. Anyway, so we talk on the phone and, and I ask her questions about leadership. And then one day I asked her like, when did you start giving generously? You know, and she said, I gave, me and my husband gave generously when we were making 25000 living in a small apartment. And we gave generously when we were making thirty-five, and forty, and seventy, and a hundred and two hundred, and when we made millions. And she said, generosity is not about how much money you have. Generosity is about your character. And and if you're not forming your character early, you're not going to do it later. If you're not giving with the little, you won't be giving with a lot. And it doesn't mean that you can't get rich outside of God's blessing. A lot of people are rich outside of God's blessing or famous or popular, right? But they become, it becomes their idol. But if you want dad, if you want God to give it to you, he wants to give it to you in a way where you, your spirit's being formed, where you're worshiping him. And, and the way that he can bless you is only to the capacity that you're willing to give and serve other people, right? If it ends at you, 
it becomes an idol. All right, I think I pounded that point to the ground. Here you go. <laughs> Next slide. Oh, one, one back. So here's the end of my little system here. Um, God gives to us. We, um, we are able to give to others. And then others praise and worship God. And um, at the end of the day, is that our heart, right? When we give to other people, is it for them to recognize us? Is it for them to put a plaque on the wall with our name on it? Is it for them to spread our reputation? Or is it truly for the praise and worship of the Lord? And that's what Paul is celebrating here. In the next slide, <laughs> it says, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 13. And through us, uh, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's the result of it. That's what he's celebrating, that as you give, other people will thank God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers for you and their hearts, and for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I hope that at the core of our hearts, our desire as Christians is that God is worshiped. That we give so that people see the Father. And I wonder, man, I wonder, we might not ever know this, but I wonder how many people have thanked God because of you, because of your gift to them as a friend, inviting them into your family, sharing the gospel with them, allowing them to have running water and education. I wonder how many prayers have been offered up to God and he thinks of you. Um, I remember sitting at a Chinese restaurant and one of the waiters comes up and I was sitting with this other man and, and he's like, this man has blessed my life. Um, he led me to the Lord. He visited me when I immigrated here and gave me food. And I was like, wow, what a marker on God's kingdom that this other person would thank God for you. I think about this girl that I wrote to all through junior high and high school um, because I, I was like, you know, giving through World Vision and they would have you correspond with this kid. And I just continue to remember her notes to me about how she found and, worship and is worshiping God because I gave her like 30 bucks a month, you know? And at Christmas, I sent her 50. And somehow this girl all across the world, across the world is thanking God because of me. And is that the end goal for us, right? Is that what we really want out of life? Because as Christians, like our purpose is God's glory. As Christians, we should be enamored and focused on God being known and God being glorified. How do we do that with our generosity? How do we do that in the places where he's richly blessed us? God's richly blessed all of you in a specific way. 
It, sometimes it's finances. Most of us are blessed with finances when we take uh, account the rest of the world. But also we're blessed in our, in our social lives. We're blessed in our talents. We're blessed in our families. And how are we taking the richness that he's called us to steward, right? When he gives to us, it's also for the purpose of giving to others. How have we taken the richest parts of our lives to give to the people around us? You know, when we don't take inventory of God's richness in our lives, we can't manage it well. And so I guess in the next few minutes, I would love us to ask these two questions. How has God made me rich? What has he given me? And how can I give that to the people around us so that they will worship and glorify God? Can I just like quickly pray and then give you guys some time to talk about that? Um, yeah. Father, thank you so much for all of your blessings in our life. And I pray that anything you give us would not end with us, that we would enjoy it, would thank you for it, but also we would offer it to the people around us so that they would worship and praise you. Maybe in, in this minute, would you just ask the Lord, God, what have you given me richly? What have you blessed me with? Could we just take inventory? God, how can I bless others with what you've given me? Let's just listen to the Lord for that. If you don't mind, uh, I would love for you to just kind of go back into your small groups and just share those two things with the people around you. What, what has God gifted, blessed you in? And how can you bless someone around you? Okay, we're just going to take three minutes and then I'll come back and uh, close our time. Hey guys, as we uh, move into worship, I would love for you to spend some time to pray for each other. But I also want to uh, bring us into communion as well. And I just think about how God models giving, you know, like he, he gives his son to us. And his son gives his life for us. And, um, and he's made the biggest sacrifice. He does it first. And we, when we give, we imitate him. I also think as we take communion about the greatest gift that he's given us, he's also asked us to give other people. Like even if you were the poorest person in the world with no friends and no power, you have the power of the gospel, the greatest gift to give to the people around you. And... Um, I hope that that's something we're generous with as a church, that we would give the gospel often. So as we take communion, would we remember God who first gave to us?
And will we remember to give the greatest gift to others? Um, the forgiveness of Jesus, his sacrifice for our sins. As we uh, move into communion and worship, you're welcome to pray for each other. You're welcome to sing. You're welcome to take communion.